Roll and I'll just feel something. Welcome to Rackhouse Ramblings Podcast. I'm Jeff, your host. Here I like to talk about bourbon and anything related to it. Sometimes I talk about life experiences. Sometimes I talk about adventures I've had. Sometimes I just talk about things I'm interested in. But you know what? Every time I talk from the heart. I'm a firefighter. I'm a craftsman. I'm an avid outdoors person. And I'm a lover of all things handcrafted. Thanks for taking time to listen. I'll do my best to make it worth your while. Rackhouse Ramblings is on the air. All right, let's get started. This is episode 44. I've got a lot to talk about today. I just returned from Arizona. I visited the Grand Canyon and it was epic. I mean, really epic. Did some backpacking with some of the guys from work. Um, while we were there uh, after the Grand Canyon, I did spend a night in the Superstition Mountains, a place called Lost Dutchman State Park. It was pretty cool. I'll tell you guys all about it. Uh, but first, let's get into some bourbon for tonight's podcast. I'm going to open a new bottle. It's from Evan Williams. And if you've been on Rackhouse Ramblings, you've been a listener for any length of time, you know I'm a fan of Evan Williams bourbon. Uh, The expression I have in front of me is called bottled in bond. And let me give you a quick refresher on what bottled in bond means, courtesy of Wikipedia. Bottled in bond is a label for an American-made distilled beverage that has been aged and bottled according to a set of legal regulations contained in the United States government's Standards of Identity for Distilled Spirits, as originally laid out in the Bottled in Bond Act of 1897. As a reaction to widespread adulteration in American whiskey, or making shitty whiskey in other words, the Act made the federal government the guarantor of a spirit's authenticity. It gave producers a tax incentive for participating and helped ensure proper accounting and the eventual collection of the tax that was due. Although the regulations apply to all spirits, most bonded spirits are whiskeys in practice. Hmm, Wikipedia has it going on here. It goes on to say, to be labeled as bottled in bond or bonded, the liquor must be the product of one distillation season, either January to June or July to December, by one distiller at one distillery. And it must have been aged in a federally bonded warehouse under U.S. government supervision for at least four years and bottled at... 100 proof. The bottled product's label must identify the distillery where it was distilled and, if different, where it was bottled. Only spirits produced in the United States may be designated as bonded. Some consumers consider the term to be an endorsement of quality, while many producers consider it archaic and do not use it. However, however, (laughs) because bottled and bond whiskey must be the product of one distillation season, one distillery, and one distiller, whereas ordinary straight whiskey may be a product of the mingling of straight whiskeys with different ages and producers within a single state. It may be regarded as a better indication of distiller skill, making it similar in concept to a single malt whiskey or a small batch whiskey or a single barrel whiskey. So there you go. Um, Right on the label, I'm going to read the label here. Uh, It says bottled under U.S. government supervision, single distillery, 100 proof. And the bottle is kind of a square shape. So on one side, it says bottled in bond status is earned only by meeting strict government standards. Originally passed in 1897 to ensure quality and consistency. In accordance with these standards, this bourbon is 100 proof, aged at least four years, and produced at a single distillery within a single distillation season. It says right here on the label. Now, if I turn to the other side, it says Evan Williams set up his distillery on the banks of the Ohio River in 1783 and is historically recognized as Kentucky's first distiller of bourbon. 
This special bottled in Bond bourbon is a genuine sour mash that honors his pioneering heritage. So there you have it. There you have it. I did go to a couple of, I did go to Evan Williams' website, evanwilliams.com, of course, and did some more research. And they have a pretty cool little tasting profile on here. Um, what do they say? Evan Williams' bottled in Bond is aged under government supervision and meeting the exact requirements for bottled in Bond bourbon. It has all the kick you expect, but still goes down smooth. And by kick, they mean 100 proof. Wouldn't that be a cool job being the government supervisor that watches warehouses, right? Probably be pretty boring. It says 100 proof. The color is called bright gold. The nose is caramel with hints of vanilla, oak, and barley. The taste, citrus on top of vanilla and black pepper. The finish is warm, long, and dry. Hmm. Very descriptive. I love all those words. So there you have it. Let's open the bottle. We're going to sample some Evan Williams Bottled in Bond. And I know you guys like hearing all the, the stuff here. Bear with me. <laughs> Let's see what we can do. And this bad boy. Still sealed. Now I bought this bottle my last trip to uh, Kentucky as a screw-off top. And that will tell you... Uh, anything with a cork is probably like a higher grade. This is a screw off top. So it is, it wouldn't be considered top shelf. And as a matter of fact, you can get this bottle for, I've seen it as low as $18.99, as high as $24.99. So this is not uh, necessarily a top shelf product, but it is Evan Williams. It is bound and bond. It is 100 proof. And I wanted to try it. Oh, you hear that? <laughs> this microphone picks up everything. So here we go. The color is definitely straw. Wow, the nose, I can really smell vanilla and really smell caramel. And, you know, the, the black pepper is something I taste, too. Hmm. That is pretty good. That is very good. I like that. There you have it. Evan Williams, bottled in bond. Get you some. Like I said, it's under $20. No shit. I would, I would definitely put this in uh, your collection if you're out shopping, wanting something good without spending a lot of money. And I think, you know, looking at this, I have on my shelf right now an Evan Williams, of course, this bottled and bond. I have an Evan Williams single barrel, and then I have the Evan Williams 1783 small batch. So you know what? Maybe next podcast we'll uh, sample all three of them. So stay right there. I'm going to start next segment. We're going to talk about some stuff. Rackhouse Ramblings is uh, on the air. Be right back. All right, Rackhouse Rambling is, is back. Uh, as most of you guys know, I'm an avid hunter, especially a bow hunter. I love to bow hunt for deer, and this is a season for that. And uh, I catch myself... Um, kind of getting addicted to this one hunting show on the outdoor channel uh it's called farming the wild it's uh it's different it's uh how do i explain it the show takes place they record it all in england and everything there is different from what we do here so the hunting show reflects that the host's name is mike robinson he's a chef and his restaurants specialize in wild game. And he owns like multiple restaurants, and he serves the wild game that he harvests. And here, you can't really do that. It's a concept. We, we can't really do it. 
I know there's like USDA stuff and all that. But in England, when you harvest a deer, you can take it, uh, you have your local meat inspector, uh, give it a once over, puts a stamp on it. And now you can sell it and you can serve it in your restaurants and things like that. That's uh, a, a big difference from what we have here. If we buy venison here, it's come from a venison farm. Um, another big difference is the hunting itself. Um, it's all done on private game preserves. Uh, you have to pay to hunt and you have to pay. Uh, there's a guide that goes with you. Um, he tells you where to hunt uh, tells you, gives you like what animal you can uh, select for your harvest and all that sort of thing. It's very, very different. And I'm a f true believer that, you know, we're lucky here in America that we have all this public land. Um, we can camp on it. We can hike on it. We can even hunt on it. Um, and it's people come from around the world just to visit our public land or our uh, national parks and things like that. We have it really good. But anyway, back to the show, Farming the Wild. I like this guy, Mike Robinson. Um, he explains all the nuances of, of hunting there. Uh, their rifles have a silencer. He talks about... Um, how you shoot and when they shoot there uh we uh, let's back up when we shoot here we always aim for the heart we aim for a double lung shot the chest cavity when they shoot there he aims for the neck um the idea is that he wants to damage the least amount of meat with the uh, bullet and uh uh it's very 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 different but i like it um the other thing i like is the different ways he prepares um the things that he harvests uh, that I probably like that more than the hunting part. Um, I see like it, the the different preparations, the side dishes, the different cuts that he does, and things like that. And another thing I notice is that the portions are smaller. Here in America, we want these huge heaping plates, but when you go uh, to his restaurants, the plates are uh, not quite as heaping. I mean, they're good portions and everything, but uh, you get it looks like a better quality everything, a better quality experience. Um, I really, I'd love to go over there. You don't get the, the big Fred Flintstone slabs like we get here, but everything looks so good. And I like the way he prepares it. And, and when he prepares, it reminds me of, uh, I kind of think of bourbon. So there's different expressions. Uh, and so I think of venison that way we can, um, do different preparations. And I think of them as expressions. And that's one of the things that I like about his show is all the different venison expressions, different ways to prepare it and things like that. So anyway, check it out. It's on the outdoor channel. It's called Farming the Wild. Uh, go to your DVR and record an episode or two. I think you guys will like it. Um, if you're interested in food preparation and doing things a different way, um, I'm really addicted to the show because uh, the wild game he does, and then also some of the side dishes, made some homemade pastas and things like that. Um, and there the food, uh, it looks like he puts a lot of love into it. So anyway, I thought you guys would like it. I like it. Uh, check it out. Farming the Wild on the Outdoor Channel with host uh, Mike Robinson. Stay right there. Let's have a sip of bourbon and Rackhouse Ramblings. We'll be right back. All right, I'm back, and I'm ready to talk about the Grand Canyon. It was, it was pretty fucking epic. <laughs> um, I'm sure some of you have been to the Grand Canyon, and I've never been, but it was absolutely amazing. So let's start here in Michigan. I uh, let's start at the beginning. So I was invited to go on a backpacking trip uh, by my buddy Dane at the fire station. Uh, he wanted to do the Grand Canyon. It's called the Rim to Rim hike, and I without in quite without 
anything. I just said, yes. He go, he said, you want to go? Yes, period, done, whatever it is I'm in. So I, without any question, without knowing, I just said yes. And this was earlier in the year. Uh, he explained there's going to be five of us. Um, so we uh, had been planning this for months and months and going over our gear and all. He gave me a list of things to get and everything. And the day finally came. Um, so what happens is all five of us, we flew into Phoenix rented a van, and uh, started our adventure right there at Phoenix Airport. I can't say enough bad things about Avis Rent-A-Car because they did keep me at Phoenix Airport for literally three fucking hours. I could not believe it. But anyway, I'm not going to turn it into a bitch session. Anyway, so we started our adventure there. We uh, arrived around lunchtime, spent three hours there waiting for our van, and then drove a few hours uh, outside of Phoenix, and stay the night in Flagstaff. What a cool town. It was, uh, I want to say it was like a couple, two and a half hours or something from Phoenix. Really cool, small little college town. I would definitely stay there again. Um, Dane set us up with a couple hotel rooms and uh, we uh, rolled in, kind of unpacked our shit. I packed, um, I checked like a, a giant rolling uh, piece of luggage and also carried my backpack as a carry-on because I needed a lot of shit. The other guys were able to do with just their backpack and did it as a carry-on with no check luggage, but I couldn't do it. So anyway, at the hotel the night before, we're all kind of excited. We're ready to get our hike started. We ran into local uh, Walmart to get our uh, fuel canisters for the cooking stoves. I don't know if you guys know or not, but you can't travel with those uh, pressurized canisters in the plane. So we had to buy those anyway. Um, had a couple beers, went to bed, woke up next morning at 4.30, bright and fucking early. Whew. To us, it didn't feel early. It was more like 7.30 because there's a three-hour three time difference. But 4.30, we're up. We uh, drove an hour and a half from Flagstaff to the south entrance of the Grand Canyon. It was dark most of the way. The sun came up just before we got in uh, to the park. And uh, once we got inside, we had to park the van, and they have a special backcountry parking lot. And it's the lot for all the hikers where you leave your vehicles. Um, it was cold that morning in the 30s, kind of breezy. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever been to national parks, but uh, it's very similar to a lot of the other national parks. Two-lane roads, like 30 miles an hour, 35 max. And um, so inside the park, there's these shuttle buses to get you around. And so where we, we parked over at the lot, we hopped on a shuttle bus and it took us to our starting point. And starting point, if you had a hiking map, it's called the South Kaibab Trailhead. It's a parking lot right at the rim of the Grand Canyon. We hopped off the bus and everyone's kind of in good spirits, ready to go. And it was chilly, like I said, in the 30s. And you could see these spots of snow, like under the underbrush. You know, as you look around, you can see, oh, here's some snow and here's some snow and here's some snow. We have our winter coats on, our gloves and everything. And it's pretty damn chilly, right? A little bit breezy. And we took the the typical Grand Canyon pictures where you stand on the on the edge, you know, the, the Grand Canyon behind you and all that. And we lined up. And uh, holy shit, is it big. So when you're standing there looking at it, that canyon takes up your entire peripheral vision. From as far as you can see to your left to as far as you can see on your right. And as far as you can see straight out in front of you, it is a huge canyon. Sky was clear blue. It was absolutely unbelievable it's everyone should go there it's pretty breathtaking so anyway take our pictures and we're all excited we get started down the trail and it's just kind of like a dirt pathway that's angled down and when i say down like it's going down like 
like <laughs> I want to say it was like 5,000 feet to the bottom, right? And it's not straight down. So what it does is um, this trail kind of zigzags and winds down and uh, it's at a gradual slope. But anyway, the first part of the hike um, takes you to the bottom of the canyon, right? This is our first leg. Um, and I look back through my pictures. We hit the trail about 8.20 in the morning. Um, the trail kind of started out winding down the edge of the canyon, like it was cut right out of the side of the wall, right? Um, it wraps around these corners and zigzags through the landscapes. Absolutely, like, breathtaking, beautiful, unbelievable. We, um, we stop. There's, like, rest stops along the way. So there's one called Ua Point, another one called Cedar Ridge, another called Skeleton Point, another one called the Tip-Off. And these are all places where you can use the bathroom, and there are these composting toilets. And then there's uh, water so you can top off your water like a spigot. But that's about it. There's nothing out there. No garbage cans, no nothing. So we're hiking down. And along the way, we stop and talk to this uh, park volunteer. He looks like a ranger. He's an older retired fellow. He's really nice. Answered all my stupid questions and everything. And he was telling us about uh, this past summer as one of their busiest, um, one of their busiest for helicopter flyouts, he said. He, when it was, you remember when it was hot this summer, it was like 90 degrees around here or whatever. It was over 100 there. And at the bottom of the canyon was 120, I think he said it was. And people would hike down and just, he said, they'd be done. They couldn't go any further and they had to fly them out. He said there was upwards of three a day of these helicopters taking people out. I thought, holy shit. And here I am kind of nervous, like, holy fuck, what did I get myself into, right? <laughs> anyway, um, so we kind of kept hiking it and it's a gradual downslope. But after a while, you start to notice that, you know, going down, your calves get sore, your knees get sore. Um, and I was like, you know, kind of slowing down. So anyway, Dane and the other guys got ahead and I was kind of the straggler, right? It ended up being about 1.30 in the afternoon. We got all the way to the bottom of the canyon where the Colorado River runs through. And it is the mighty Colorado for a reason. It is wide and it is fast. And it looked like coffee. Like if you had coffee with cream in it, that's what the water looked like. And there was this huge bridge that um, for walking that goes over. Uh, like a suspension bridge. It was really cool. Really, really cool. So anyway, made it to the bottom, got all the Colorado River. It was seven miles from where we started. And by this time, like I said, I was straggling behind the guys, taking my time, feeling a little sore and all that. Um, also, as we were hiking, um, we ran across like uh, the trail had to be shared with mules. So people uh, and supplies can be moved back and forth up and down the canyon on the backs of mules. Uh, so whenever a mule would come up the trail, there'd be a whole train of them. You had to step to one side and give the mules a right away. Same thing with that bridge. There's a extra wooden supports in the middle for the mules to walk across. It was kind of cool. Kind of cool. So anyway, speaking of the guy, I should probably tell you is Dane, Brad, Tom, Dustin, and myself. You know, like I said, I was the slowest hiker probably because I'm the oldest, but could be because they trained and I didn't. <laughs> That's probably more the truth of it, right? Anyway, so you cross the bridge over the, the mighty Colorado River, and there's a campground right there called Bright Angel. You go a little bit past that, maybe a tenth of a mile, a quarter of a mile, and there's a rest stop called Phantom Ranch. And if you go on YouTube or Google, you can look up Phantom Ranch. It's just a few buildings, restrooms, some water, and that's about it. Um, it was kind of like an oasis that I never knew about. There were trees, there was water, there was shade. We had lunch sitting on the banks of this stream called the Bright Angel Creek, and it flows right into the Colorado. So when you get to the bottom, you know, I was always thinking the Grand Canyon was desert. It was 
exactly the opposite. Down at the bottom, there's a lot of greenery, there's water, there's life. It's it's crazy. It was not what I expected. So anyway, the creek, it was like cold and clear. Uh, so we had lunch, took off my boots, socks, dipped my feet in the water. By now I was feeling, <laughs> I was feeling the, the aches, right? Especially like in my right knee. Holy shit. So anyway, after about, I don't know, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, we packed up, hit the trail. And our next stop was our final destination is the called Cottonwood Campground. It was 7.1 miles away. And this stretch of the hike looked different. Uh, from our first part of the hike. This trail kind of winds through a deep ravine, like you're walking, um, how do you say it? Like, to my, if I look to my left, there was a wall, look to my right, there's a wall, and then there's this creek, uh, the stream running through it, and our pathway followed it. So it was kind of steep cliffs to both sides, and relatively flat, not, not a lot of uh, elevation, things like that. So um, by now, it had warmed up, I mean, I'm pretty sure it was close to 80, at least in the 70s. It was in just like a long sleeve t-shirt. Had my jacket off, had my hat off, gloves off, things like that. And for the first couple miles, I was cruising right along. Then I kind of slowed down. My knee was starting to absolutely kill me. And uh, the scenery, though, was so pretty. I couldn't think of anything else. It kind of kept me going. I was taking a shit ton of pictures and ended up with close to 700 pictures. <laughs> I counted them up by the end of this trip. So anyway, as the day went on, Tom and Dustin and Dane kind of hiked ahead. Me and Brad were walking slower. Brad was being nice, keeping me company, walking uh, at my slower pace. But anyway, we rolled into Cottonwood Campground somewhere around 6 p.m. Um, I can tell you by 7, I was asleep. <laughs> Holy shit, I was tired. That was a long, long day. So anyway, rolled into camp, took off my hiking clothes, uh, put on my long johns, my Crocs, kind of uh, cooled down, decompressed a little bit, boiled some water. We had de dehydrated meals and I'm telling you, I was tired, man. <laughs> Our campsite was really cool though. It sat along the Creek between two steep cliffs. Um, on, uh, one side was like a kind of rocky. The other side was a steep, uh, steep cliff face. And as the sun went down, you know, we, we were like in the shadows of the cliffs, right? And then once the moon kind of started to come up, the sun it started to get a little bit darker, but then it was bright again because the moon was like shining across our little valley and it would reflect off the wall on the far side. It was really, really kind of cool. Um, it lit up the whole cliff face like that. Sometime in the middle of the night, the moon eventually rose up above the one cliff face and it lit up our whole valley. It was like someone had a porch light on over our whole campground. Uh, it was it was really really a beautiful night, and I woke, <laughs> I woke up a couple of times. I had to pee right, and it was a chore. Holy shit, my legs and my calves were so so stiff. I was like Fred Sanford with arthritis all over my body, trying to get up and go pee. But the sky was beautiful. All the rocks were lit up. It was it was gorgeous, really gorgeous. Got a little bit chilly that night down into the forties, but anyway, um, the next morning we ended up uh, we got up pretty early, and you wake up. And you, it's bright out, but the sun doesn't actually hit the bottom of our little valley there closer to lunchtime. Um, it, it was bright, but no sunshine yet, so it's still a little chilly. But anyway, the plan was to hike seven miles from our campground up to the north rim of the Grand Canyon, and they call that hiking the rim to rim. But let's just say I needed some rehab time. <laughs> I was aching, and my calves felt like two softballs were duct taped to the back of my legs like rock hard softballs what they felt like so I tell the guys I'm gonna stay behind I'll keep an eye on our stuff right I'm gonna chill and rehab and they must have been pretty sore too because they 
had a change in plans. They only hiked uh, two miles up the trail and uh, to the next rest area called Manzanita Rest Area and came back. So instead of doing the seven and doing the entire rim to rim, they did another four and uh, came back. So when they came back, uh, I skipped that. Uh, while they were gone, I took a dip in the creek. That's what I did. Someone piled up rocks to make like a, a bathing hole, like a deep spot. It was really refreshing gave me a chance to like uh, cool down my undercarriage and soak my legs in the icy cold water and all that so um while i did that uh let me i want to describe our campsite there's there there's uh like a steel box to store your food in and then there's a metal pole like a shape of a t where you hang your backpack right to this keeps the critters from getting in your shit like little mice and uh field mice or whatever they're called or pack rats or whatever well when i went for a dip came back my shit got ate into. I was gone not even 15 minutes. So I come back and I left my bag of food, um, which was really my bag that held my tent. I just put my food in there. It was sitting on the picnic table and I wasn't even gone 15 minutes. And they, this freaking critter chewed right through it. It's chewed through my tent bag, chewed through my Ziploc bag and chewed through the foil pack. I had these little packs of tuna and chewed through all of that. Holy shit. And I don't know if I've ever told you guys, but I hate mice. I mean, I really fucking hate mice. Up at my cabin there, I'm in a constant battle with them fuckers. So when I saw this, I was so pissed. You know, it was, I'm ready, I was ready to kill it. If I ever see a mouse again, I'll kill it. But anyway, uh, got cleaned up, put all my shit away. And a little while later, the guys came back and uh, Dane was explaining. They talked to someone else on the trail and heard about a waterfall uh, that's only like a mile away that we had to go check out. So we had lunch. Packed up our little shit a little bit for a little day hike and went down to this waterfall. It's called Ribbon Falls. Another one you can look up on uh, YouTube. It was so cool. We hike uh, one mile back down the path we came the day before and found where this bridge used to be. And we took off our shoes, socks, walked through the creek. And probably about uh, 10 minutes the other side, we found the waterfall. It was absolutely incredible. The water came right off of the cliff face way at the top and fell it's got to be 100 feet i don't know i'm guesstimating but it couldn't be that far off um and there's like a pool at the bottom of the waterfall so i took off my shoes and socks probably took off my clothes too <laughs> everything except my underwear and waded out to the bottom under the waterfall it was fucking cold it was colder than lake superior i for a fact i know that so anyway we're sitting there chilling hanging out and then uh, you look up the waterfall and probably part of the way down there is this kind of flat rock look like a table up there and you could hike your way around they had like almost like stairs built into the rocks to go up there so we went up there and there was this whole ledge remind me of mesa verde uh like a little hollowed out part under the cliff where you could walk all the way around we each took turns going up there it was pretty cool and uh, we stayed probably an hour maybe an hour or so somewhere around there uh hiked back had our dinner uh, we all had dehydrated meals, like mountain house meals, things like that. I was hungry as shit because mine was amazing. I think it was lasagna. I was so hungry, I, didn't, I inhaled the damn thing. So anyway, the night was the same thing, clear sky. and this. But this time I was able to keep my eyes open a little bit later. The moon kind of lit up the canyon walls again. And it looked almost bluish, like a really pale blue. And I know the rocks were like pinkish and reddish during the day. But once that moon kind of creeped up and started lighting up the opposite wall, it was all like blue. It was so, so cool. I wish I got to take night pictures of it. But anyway, slept through the night. We uh, got up next morning, hit the trail. 
And we were hiking back the same way that we came in and hiking back to Phantom Ranch. And for this day, um, Dane had pre-ordered a lunch for us. Uh, we got into Phantom Ranch. It was about noon, 12 o'clock. And our lunch, they have like a little bag lunch for you, a bagel, cream cheese, protein bar, like made of bird seed. I shit that one out that afternoon, I'm sure. A bag of craisins and an apple. I think that was a, our bag lunch. But um, did I mention there's no garbage cans in the Grand Canyon? You have to carry everything with you, even your garbage. And by now, I was trying to think of ways to lighten up my pack. So I had this water purifying pump thing, and I left it at, at Phantom Ranch for someone else to have it. It was too, It was at least a pound. The thing was so fucking heavy. And needless to say, Dane had this straw thing for purifying water. I think it was soy or something like that. It weighed about an ounce compared to my gallon thing. So anyway, I left it. I was shedding weight, man. <laughs> so after we eat lunch at Phantom Ranch, we crossed back over the mighty Colorado River on a different bridge. So um, our trail that we're hiking, let me kind of describe it to you. If you took the letter Y and you turned it upside down so the forks are facing down, right? That's what our hiking trail looked like overall. We started in the lower right leg of the Y. That would be the South Rim, South Kaibab, come down to the junction, and that would have been the Phantom Ranch, and then go straight up to the top of the Y, or actually the upside down Y, and that would have been Cottonwood where we camped at. So we stayed there, came back to the junction of the Y at Phantom Ranch, and now we're taking the other section of the Y to the left. So uh, we crossed back over the, the Colorado River, a different bridge, right? And um, this bridge was cool. You could like look down under, it was a metal grate. Another suspension bridge so you can see the water below you. And so we crossed the bridge and as you uh, are hiking, the trail stays along the cliff face. So we kind of follow the river. And the same thing, that trail is kind of cut right into the face. It was really cool. You could look down a couple of spots, I'm sure were a thousand foot drop right off the edge. So it was uh, harrowing <laughs> to say the least. So anyway, uh, after ways, um, the trail turns left and goes into this valley and starts to get back into the canyon. And it follows another creek called uh, Angel Creek. I don't know what it is called. Yeah, I thought it was called Bright Angel Creek. And that takes us all the way to our campground. It's called Indian Garden. And we rolled into there about 3.30 in the afternoon. So we left in the morning from Cottonwood, passed through Phantom Ranch, crossed the river, keep hiking to Indian Garden. It was a total of 12 miles. And it felt like it. <laughs> at the campground, just like at Cottonwood, they had the compost toilets, they had fresh water spigots. We kind of uh, relaxed for a little while, had some dinner, finished the last of the bourbon. Did I mention we had some little uh, disposable uh, <laughs> bourbon flasks? Yep. I, I know I had one, and I think Brad had two, and I know Dustin and uh, Tom each had one. Whatever was left, we kind of drank it. So anyway, in the middle of the night, woke up. It was like a windstorm, like a hurricane, but no rain. And I did go back to bed, no big deal. And in the morning, we woke up, we are having breakfast, and this herd of uh, mule deer came through. Probably, I want to say at least 12 of them. And they just mosey right on through the campground. They're not afraid of people or anything. You're not supposed to feed them, but they come awfully close. And they're just looking for stuff to eat or whatever. That was kind of neat. So whatever I had left when we're packing up, whatever I had left for food, I left it in the, in the box there, the steel box. This campground had a steel box also. And I also left this piece of shit solar battery charger for my phone to keep it charged. thing weighed at least two pounds, probably three. That was useless. I left it in the sun all day, didn't even charge. So I left that for somebody else anyway. So um, the last day's hike, 
was going to be from Indian Garden all the way back up to the rim of the canyon, five miles. And I want to say it was 5,000 feet or 4,800 feet or whatever. And they don't go straight up like I was talking about. It it zigzags the whole way. They call them, uh, shit, what do they call them? Switchbacks. And so the name of this trail is called the Bright Angel Trail. It ends at the top rim where the Vercamps Visitor Center is. So we started out about 7.30 in the morning, um, got to the top of the rim about noon. And although this one was strenuous, this going uphill, for me it was a lot more comfortable because uh, it wasn't uh, as impactful on my legs. I was tired, I was sore, but definitely not as in nearly the pain I was in the other day. So anyway, got to the top, we kind of celebrated, took a few pictures, and um, there was a lot of people there. It was really busy compared to when we left. Um, we jumped on a shuttle, got to our van, and got to the outside of the uh, park. And uh, the little town is called Tucson or Tucson, something like that. And we stopped at the first Mex- Mexican restaurant we came to and ate. Holy shit, was it good. I inhaled three tacos, man. Holy crap. So anyway, uh, after we ate, pile back in the van, drive to a hotel in Phoenix. And we stayed the night in Phoenix. I slept like a rock. The next morning we got up. We dropped uh, Dustin and Tom at the airport, and me and Dane and Brad drove on to our next adventure. We had another night, and for this night, I got us a campsite at a place called the Lost Dutchman State Park. It's on the far side of Phoenix in a, near a town called Apache Junction, and what's really cool, uh, if you the Lost Dutchman, if that sounds familiar, because there's a Lost Dutchman's gold mine in the uh, Superstition Mountains. And that's this whole area kind of is around gold mining and stuff like that. So uh, somewhere hidden, if you look up on the internet what the Lost Dutchman's gold mine is, somewhere in the Superstition Mountains is a lost gold mine. Our campground was right at the base of the mountains. It was really beautiful. It was in the desert, and this was real desert. Um, (laughs) It was like camping under a postcard all night. I, every time I looked up, here's these mountains in the middle of the desert. And our site that we slept on was really like a gravel spot surrounded by cactus and shit like that. And the border of our campsite was just rocks put into a border. So you had to put down your sleeping pad and everything. Um, and it was pretty blue sky. It was unbelievable. Uh, for dinner, we went right outside the, or before dinner, skip that, we went right outside the campground out of the state park, and there was an, a, a, an old mining town, but now it's like a tourist attraction, so we got to go pan for gold, and it was pretty fucking cool. Uh, and our pans, uh, the guy there showed us how to pan gold, you know, you get your dirt, and uh, he showed us how to pan it, how to find the flakes, uh, even had some little uh, quartz and uh, gems and things in there, so we got to keep them as a souvenir. And then for dinner, they had a restaurant there with a beautiful patio so we could see the sunset over the Superstition Mountains. It was badass. I had a couple of really good prickly pear margaritas and uh, called it a night. That was a great way to wrap up. Uh, Dane and I were flying out the next day. So we go back to the campground, sit around our campsite. It's dark out and we're kind of rearranging our gear and things, setting up tent. And while Dane's setting his up, he comes across a scorpion right fucking there. And I was originally just going to sleep under the stars in my bag. And I said, fuck that now. I'm putting up my sleeping bag. So I had my, or I was putting up my tent. and But I didn't put the fly over the top of it. So it was really just like a screened-in tent, right? So I'm sleeping. And 
in the evening we can hear the coyotes in the distance. It was kind of picture perfect. It was really, really cool. Out in the distance, one way behind us is Superstition Mountains. And you turn and look the other way, you see the city of Phoenix all lit up way out in the distance. And it was pretty cool. Pretty cool. I fall asleep. And about two in the morning, I woke up to these two fucking coyotes that were in our campsite. I shit you not, probably not even 20 feet from my tent. And they start yipping and yiping and howling, scared the living fuck out of me. And I'm looking around trying to think, why are they here? There's no food. We have no food out, no nothing out. But anyway, I have to start yelling at them to leave. I said, get out of here, get. And that scared them off. I thought, holy fuck. They were, that's the closest I've ever been to a coyote, let alone two. So needless to say, we didn't, I, I didn't sleep for the rest of the night. I don't know about Dane and Brad. I, I, mean, I think I know Brad was sleeping. So anyway, we woke up the next morning and uh, drive into Phoenix. And uh, Brad was staying another day with his uh, grade school friends. So we dropped him off and Dane and I went to the airport, dropped the van back to Avis and told them to get the, well, now I'll never be back again. <laughs> and anyway, we flew home and that was the end of my trip. It was really, really epic. I'll try, I keep saying I'm going to put things on Instagram. I'll try and put a few more pictures uh, up there for you guys. But that's all I got for tonight. Uh, I'm going to end it right there, get you some Bottled and Bond Evan Williams. If you ever get a chance to go to the Grand Canyon, I highly recommend it. And if you ever get a chance to hike down to the bottom, boy, oh boy, it's worth it. It is worth all uh, all the pain and suffering and, and all that. Uh, everyone should do it. So there you have it. Rackhouse Ramblings. I'm going to call it a night. Thank you guys for listening. We'll see you later.